Good morning. Um, welcome to the well. My name is Todd Watkins, and my wife Lindy and kids are, are, are members here of the well, and I'm excited to be able to share this morning. And no, Tori and I didn't call each other and Casey and say, hey, let's wear checkers today. We did, we did not do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have a difficult topic to address um, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's, we've been going through that as a church, and we're kind of coming to the close of that. And so Jesus is starting to draw some lines, kind of who's in the kingdom, who's not in the kingdom. And so we're gonna, I'm going to hopefully walk through that with you all well. Um, I hope you can stick with me through the whole teaching. I think it'll kind of come together more towards the end. Um, but I realize it's a, it's a challenging topic, um, particularly in our culture at large. We've got a lot of challenging things in our culture, but this is also a challenging topic uh, for us as Christians to understand and walk in. Um, so let me pray also, and I just want to ask God to bless and lead our time here. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to share here. And um, I do pray, God, you give clarity uh, as I share and help me have your words, help me communicate the truth um, that's your truth from the Scripture. And uh, help us understand it and see it well and understand what you did for us, Jesus, uh, when you came into this world and, and the salvation you brought to us. Uh, I pray you would help that make, make that more clear uh, today through this text and then what you've called us into. And so I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, this is a hard topic. Uh, it's an unpopular topic. I'm going to be talking about the exclusivity of Christ. And uh, our culture values inclusivity and tolerance and open-mindedness, uh, so much so to the extent of sometimes we blur the lines of what's true and real and because we, we really, really value this inclusive idea that we all are included, all are welcome. And so this topic is a little bit hard because when you start thinking about some of the exclusivity of Christ, people say, oh, you know, you, if you believe in that, you, well, you're, you're narrow-minded, you are arrogant, you may be a device, potentially divisive, or you may even be dangerous because of your beliefs in, in something that is exclusive. And there's rightful feelings about this because there is, there, are, there is a lot of tension in our world right now around exclusive religion, right? We have a lot of issues in the world. There's, there's not peace. We want peace, but there's not peace because there is division in the world, and there's division because of some exclusivity in belief. Many of us are familiar with the uh, phrase, convert, pay taxes, or die. That's an extreme form of exclusivism. Either you become like us, or you give us your money, or you die. We kill you. You don't live. Because we have the way. We have the correct way, the right way. It's a, it's a belief that their way is right. And so we say, well, any belief that is exclusive like that must become dangerous because, of course, you're going to start to divide yourself from others and you're going you're to begin to think your way is better. You're going to be to stereotype others. Maybe you'll dehumanize others because your way is correct. You have the truth. And so there is a strong um, possibility for that to happen, and that has happened many times over the course of history. And I hope that we can today see a little bit of Jesus' picture and story on how, though he is an exclusive way to God, he has created an inclusive way for all to know him. I hope I can paint that for you a little bit here. I want to share a little bit of my story briefly and talk a little about Jesus, and then we'll get into that text. A um, little bit of my story, just so you know, uh, when I was 20 years old, I was sitting in a dormitory room, 
and I was with my uh, roommate and a suite mate. And uh, a guy came into our room, two guys that were Christians, and they wanted to talk to us about Jesus. So we were interested and wanted to hear about that. And uh, so we were sitting there talking. They were nice guys. They didn't do anything overly offensive. But as we were talking with them, I knew where they were going, and I started, and I started to ask them, so are you saying, you telling me that you have the way to God? They were like, well, yeah, kind of, yeah. And, and, uh, and I, I just I said, I, I can't believe how arrogant you are and how narrow-minded that is. And I just went after this guy. You know, you, are, you think you, of all the people in the whole world, there's all these people, different religions, and you, you know the right way to God. I mean, how foolish and arrogant that is. And I kind of laid into him, and I got up, and I just walked out on him, and I was, I was upset. I was offended by his perspective, even though he seemed like he probably was a nice guy. He wasn't being overly harsh or rude to me. But I knew where he was going, and, and, I, and it bothered me. It made me uh, upset. Funny thing is, a year and a half later, I'm sitting in, uh, outside in a college university campus, a different campus at that time, and another guy is sharing with me this story about Jesus. And at that time, I knew I needed God in my life. And for whatever reason, in that moment of time, it made sense to me. Um, and I decided to put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior for, to forgive my sins. And I had done a lot of things at that time in my life to try to find peace in my life. I mean, I had been involved in New Age practices and Eastern meditation and earth spirituality. I had been involved in uh, psychedelic drugs to try to find, not just for, to use drugs, but to try to find some type of transcendent experience. Uh, I was looking for peace and nirvana and these different things. And I was trying to find these, this life, this peace, maybe in some ways trying to find God, even though I didn't know that's what I was trying to find in all these different ways. I heard this message about Jesus, and I said, okay, well, this is different than what I've tried before or heard before, but it sounds good. I just got to believe in him, accept him in my life, and I can have this relationship with God. And I didn't know exactly what I was doing at the time. I didn't know anything about the Bible, but this was good news to me at that time. And so I put my trust in him. And something did begin to change in my life. And I, and I did begin to experience this peace and this joy and this life that was very different from all the other things I was doing at that time. And I remember talking to my friend about New Age stuff, and I said, you know, I don't even know about all this stuff anymore because there's something different in Jesus. And I was experientially experiencing the reality that Jesus is unique, that there was something unique and different about him in my own life. And as I began to pursue him more, I began to find that, that he truly was unique because I, I wasn't the person that searched out all the religions and then came to a logical conclusion and then made a decision for God. I came to God in a different way than that. I came to him because I had a need, and I heard the news, and it was good, and I accepted him into my life. But then I was in a position where I was like, okay, well, how does Jesus fit into Buddhism, and how does he fit into Hinduism, and how does he fit this, all this fit together? So I had to start to research. I had to start to learn. I started to discover. I started to read a lot about religions and about, about this Christian faith that I kind of believed in, and I knew I believed in Jesus, but I didn't know about all this other stuff, you know, this church stuff, but... I knew I, 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 Jesus was doing something in my life. And so as I began to search it out and read, I, I realized, whoa, this Jesus guy is different. He truly is not just in my life, but he, in his own claims, he was unique and different. Uh, I, I, I realized that, okay, yeah, uh, Moses, he pointed people to the law. And uh, Buddha pointed people to the noble truths. And Muhammad pointed people to the Quran. And Lao Tzu pointed people to the Tao. But Jesus pointed people to himself. And that was totally different. 
And, and who is this guy? Who is this guy who, who claims, when you read his words, claims to be the way to God? This is what the guy claimed. And, and we want to love and respect Jesus as a culture. We want to. We don't want to reject Jesus because we know Jesus is a good guy, right? And so no one can just say Jesus is a bad guy. You know, so we say, well, Jesus is a good guy. He was a good teacher. He, he kind of was like, you know, a good moral teacher, probably like Dalai Lama or something like that. And, and we, we desperately want to believe that and hold on to that. But when we start seeing the fullness of what Jesus said, we go, oh, wait, wait, I don't know if I like that. I, I, I don't like that part of Jesus. I like this part of Jesus. But yet, when that's, Jesus is one. He's not two. And so culturally, we try to pull him down from what he said he was and how he lived and what he did. We try to pull him down. Or we'll say, oh, you know, the early church kind of made him like a god. They divinized him. Or, or you, know, you know, maybe he didn't really mean it that kind of way. He meant it this kind of way. And so we try to pull him down and neutralize Jesus. But when you just take it at face value, you just really look at what he said and who he was, you go, whoa, this guy is different. And we got to be, we're confronted with it. It's confronting and so we want to kind of plug our ears to the reality of there's only that Jesus claimed to be God. I don't like that, but I like Jesus, but I don't know. I'm confused. And when you look at him and you, when you understand who he was and what he said, you come to the conclusions that C.S. Lewis came to. You say, man, this guy either was the Lord, God, or he was a liar, or he was a crazy lunatic man. You, you, you can't get around it. And C.S. Lewis said this. He says, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us he did not intend to. It's, we can't get there when, we, when we're confronted with who Jesus was. Either he was out of his mind, crazy, liar, lunatic, or he was something unique, different than anybody else in the world. And we say, well, how can this guy, if he was a lunatic, okay, we'll give that to him. He was a crazy guy. I think my dad kind of thinks that. He was kind of just a crazy dude. But you go, man, I mean, a crazy guy spoke the Sermon on the Mount? Ugh, how? I mean, this is... Christians and non-Christians will say this is one of the most profound ethical teachings that man has ever been given is a Sermon on the Mount. And, a, and can a crazy man, can the three short years of a crazy man transform our world? There's something about this guy who is different. A secular historian, William Lecky, wrote the book History of European Morals, said the character of Jesus has not only been the highest pattern of virtue, but the strongest incentive in its practice and has exerted so deep an influence that it may be truly said that the simple record of three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and soften mankind than all the disquisitions of the philosophers and all the exhortations of the moralists. Whew. That's a big statement for a historian to say that is a secular historian. The highest pattern of virtue, he must not just be a lunatic and liars do not exhibit a high pattern of virtue. So we look at Jesus, and yes, 
there are Christians, and yes, we can get upset at Christianity in certain kinds of ways and think certain ways that Christians are judgmental and stuff, but our angst really needs to start with Jesus. They have to start with Jesus. Who is this arrogant guy who said, I'm the way to God? You've got to start with that and be confronted with that and see, was he really who he said he was? So we're going to look at this at the end of, uh, close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You guys can, if you have a Bible, you can open it up. Or there's a link here where you can use your version uh, Bible app. Or you can follow along on the screen as well. Um, and I'm going to start in verse 12 of chapter 7. And the very first verse kind of doesn't really kind of fit along with what I'm going to share. So I'm going to tie it back in at the end, hopefully, because it's a little out of sync of the, the thought here. Um, but I'll read it. I think we have it. Do we have it on the screen? Yes, we do. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, and, but are inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree that bears good fruit, or every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a tough section. Jesus closing up his sermon. He's got one more thought he's going to share that we'll share next week. Closing up his sermons, laying it out. All right, y'all, there's two ways. There's two ways to go. One's a narrow way, one's a narrow gate. It's a narrow door. And one's a broad way. One's narrow and it's hard to get through. Fewer on it, but it leads to life. And one's a broad way. It's easy. Many are on it, but it leads to destruction. It leads to death. If you read this passage in Luke, it'll say that the broad way leads to weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a terrible place. It's what we understand as hell, an eternal separation from God, living with God, living without God for eternity. And this wide way is marked as an easy way. It seems more easy. It is maybe marked as the, it could be marked as a way to heaven too. But Jesus says it's not. And he says there's a lot of prophets, false prophets, who look like they're sheep and look real sweet and nice. Inside are like wolves. But these prophets, these false teachers, are people who lead you towards 
the large gate are leading you towards the way that's not towards the way of life. And he says, you'll know them by their fruit. Over time, you'll see the fruit of their lives play out. But they're leading you in a way that says things like, hey, there's no one way to God. That's a pretty broad way. Or, hey, all ways are the same. That's a pretty broad way. Or, you know what? There's no real ultimate truth. There's no real morals. You can kind of do whatever you want. That's kind of a broad way. There's no judgment. Love wins. There's no real condemnation or hell or eternal death. Well, that's kind of a broad way. Everyone gets to be in heaven. Or there is no God. Actually, there is no creator. There is no maker. We just came from pond soup, and the really morals don't exist, and truth doesn't exist, and just kind of, it's just a kind of fictitious social construct that we've developed. Well, that's kind of a broad way. And there's a lot of people and teachers that are proclaiming these things, making a wide and easy way. But Jesus says that's not the way. And we have a hard time with it. I mean, we want the way to be wide. And, and so we like the analogies, of like the Indian analogy of the elephant. You know, you guys may be familiar with it. Or there's four blind men. And uh, there's a king. And the king has the blind men touch an elephant. And one guy touches the, the, the leg of the elephant. And the king says, what is it? And he says, well, that's a, that's a tree. And then one guy touches the side of the elephant, and, and, and they ask him what it is, and he says, well, that's a wall. And one touches the tail, and they ask him what it is, and he says, well, that's a, a rope. And one touches the ear, and they ask him what it is, and he says, well, that's a fan. And so the king says, you see, you're all touching the elephant, but you're all touching different parts of it. You all are touching the same thing, and that's just like all the religions. They're all touching a part of God, but just describing God in a different kind of way. So you're all right even though your views or opinions are different. Wow, that's kind of nice, right? I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea of like, man, we're all included. You know, we're all, we're all kind of involved in, in touching God in a different way, and it means we're, we're all in. We're all in. But there's a problem with that story. And Leslie Newbigin pointed it out because he did a lot of mission work in India. He says, if you recognize that all the religions are just part of a truth, you are the one who sees, you yourself are the one who sees the whole truth, the very thing you say no one can see. You get that? You yourself are not the blind man. You are the one who sees it all. Oh, you Christian, you think Jesus is the only way, you foolish little blind guy. I got the whole picture. You over there, you Buddhist, you think it's this way. Huh? You're just foolish, kind of just a little bit blind. Oh, you, you, you Islamists, you think you know the way. Oh, you just are blind and you're just touching that one part of God. But I know it all. I'm the wise old mighty king who sees everything. And so in that very statement, you are forming an exclusive claim yourself. And if no one thinks of it as you think of it, well, then you are becoming superior. You're becoming more wise. You've become better. And you have degraded someone else in that very thought process. You're blind, I'm not. You know, you're arrogant, I'm not. You're narrow-minded, I'm not. Right? That's the, I, I was doing that to that guy in my dorm room. <laughs> Calling him arrogant, narrow-minded, and yet at the same time, I'm doing the very same thing. So we're stuck. 
We're stuck because truth in its nature is exclusive. And religions in their nature are different. And so we have to use our minds and figure out, well, what is true and what is real? And we have to be confronted with truth and wrestle with truth. I wonder about this analogy. I like this analogy. It's a little different analogy to think about the way to God. And uh, it's an, the Austin City Limits analogy. I was at Austin City Limits two years ago. And it was a good time. Anyone been there? A few people? A couple? Not too many. <laughs> a couple years ago. And there was a band playing the, the Head and the Heart. It was a good band. And so I wanted to see them. We went up to listen to them, and one of the songs is playing, and I think it was the Rivers and Roads song. It's a good song. It's kind of a worshipful kind of song. And I won't sing it for you. Um, but I was sitting there in the crowd, and I, was, and I was realizing, you know, as we're sitting there listening to these guys, we couldn't get very close to it because there was a big fence in front. And then I was realizing, you know, there's this fence that kind of cut the crowd right in half. It went right through the whole crowd, and, and this fence was, was actually a pathway. And so there were a number of people that were walking through this path, pathway all the way up to the very front. And it wasn't crowded, and they had easy access. They just walk up there, kind of chill out, get real close to the band, you know, and then when they are bored, they would leave and go somewhere else. And we're all sitting there packed in, you know, wanting to be close, but we couldn't get close. And I, I don't think very many people were thinking, oh, man, it's so unfair that they made this way up to the front. They're probably thinking, man, I wish I spent the extra money so I could get that ticket and I could get to the front. You know, but we could have done all we wanted to do to try to get to the front without that ticket, but it wouldn't have worked, right? You could have tried to climb over the fence and they put a grab you and thrown you out. You could have stand on each other's shoulders and cheered as loud as you could and think, man, if we just cheer so much, maybe they'll let us come up front. But that was not the way that Austin City Limits had decided how you're going to get to the front. They said, if you want to get to the front, you got to buy this ticket, right? They are the maker of the whole thing. It was their idea. They have the right to decide how you're going to get to the front. And they made a way. And it's like that in life, in all kinds of situations. You want to go to Disney World? You can't just go in. There's a little gate in the front. And you got to have your ticket. And you got to pay for the ticket. And you got to get in. I mean, this is a cool place. And everyone wants to go. And, but there's big walls all around it. And you can't just get in without the ticket. So God is the maker of heaven and earth. I think heaven's going to be a little bit cooler than Disney World <laughs> or Austin City Limits. He makes it all. He's the creator of the kingdom of God. It's his kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's his heaven. It's what Jesus has been talking about through the book of Matthew, all about his kingdom. And he made a way to get in there. And he said what the way was in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, to enter the kingdom of God, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father It's perfect. The teachers of the law, the religious guys, I mean, they, had, they held at those Pharisees, man. They were holding to the law to the best they could. And he says, your righteousness must surpass their righteousness. Ooh, that just left everyone hanging. Oh, we're all doomed. Who can make it? But a lot of people try. A lot of people try. I was in Utah last weekend, and I was learning about the Mormon church. We got to go around and see the temple, and I learned a lot of things I didn't know. I didn't know that they keep track of every time you come to church. They keep track of every time you give. They keep track of it because they need to do all those things so that they can get to God. They're going to make sure that they've done everything God wants them to do so that they have paid the price and that they can get into heaven. 
That's their whole system. Or how about Islam? Your good works have to outweigh your bad works. So everything you're doing is to pay that price that you can get into that door, that you can make it there. That is what religion is. It's working your way to God. So on that day, you can say, here's my ticket. I did it. I paid for it. I made it. But the problem is, the Scripture says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That no one can be righteous enough to get there. No one can be perfect enough to get there on our own. And if you say you can, then you're kind of leading people down the broad road. You can do it on your own. You can do it through this, this religious works. But Jesus says no. And so in that dilemma, in that problem, that there's this huge world and we're all in the broad way going to destruction, God says, I'm going to make a way. There's a way for you to get there, but you can't get there. I'm going to make a way for you to get there. I'm going to send my son the perfect, the perfect person. You didn't live a perfect life, but he lived a perfect life. And this person's going to die for your sins, for all your wrongs. And he's going to cut a path, a channel right to me. And when you come to him and you put your trust in him and believe in him, he's going to pr provide the way to God, the salvation to God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? He didn't just do this for some people. He did this for all people. He did this for people of every race, every background. He did this for people, the rich and the poor, from every country, every continent, every nationality. Male or female, he included the entire world in what he did on the cross. It wasn't just for a select group of people. Now, Jesus says the way is narrow because the way is through him, but his way is broad because he's invited everybody to be in it. God has made a way for everybody to be in his kingdom and to be with him. It's hard because you have to repent of your own way and you have to turn to him and believe in him and trust in him in his way. And that takes humility. That takes breaking our pride and humbling ourselves. But this is a good news gospel that God is spreading across the face of the earth. And we say, well, there's people all over the world. And how, how, what about all those other people? And I don't know how God is going to reach and, and connect with all these different people in the world, but I know he's doing it. When I was in Amsterdam, I had a friend there, uh, a good friend. We actually have a friend visiting uh, here today from Amsterdam. Um, so you get to meet her, hopefully. Uh, later on today. But I had another friend there. His name was Sokol. And Sokol was an interesting guy. His mom was Jewish and his dad was Muslim. Has an interesting marriage between those two. And, uh, but he grew up Muslim. And uh, with, without going into all the story, there was a certain part of his time where he developed a hatred towards Christians. He hated them. And uh, he did everything he could to thwart and stop the Christian church in his country. He told me one time he... Um, he, he, they, they intercepted a truckload of Bibles, and they burnt all of the Bibles. Whew. And then one time he said they went into a, a church, and they shot it all up, and they beat the, the priest, trying to threaten him or scare him from stop doing what he's doing. He found himself in Amsterdam in strange circumstances. He found himself in a Christian youth hostel because he didn't have any money, didn't know where to go. He didn't know he was Christian. He ended up finding himself in this place. And he, this hostel would bring people to our church, so he started coming to our church. And in the midst of that, he had three dreams. It was the same dream every night, three times in a row. His dream was he was in darkness, outside in darkness. 
And he saw in the distance a house, and there was, light, there was light coming out of the house, and it looked like a warm place. So he walked up to the house and knocked on the door, and there was a man inside, and opened the door and let him in. He's sitting there conversing with this man, talking with this man, and um, just having a normal conversation. And, he's, and the man says, well, if you'd like to stay, you have to come here through this door. And he opened up another door, and out of that door came just this, this beam of bright light. And, the, and Sokol wanted to stay. He says, oh, I'd like to go in there. He says, but to get through this door, you have to go through me. And he said, what do you mean? Who, who are you? And he realized he was Jesus. And he said, I hate you. And Jesus is like, I know. <laughs> I hate you. And he said, you know what? You can go back out that door. And he looked back at that door, and it was just out into darkness. And he says, or you can go through this door, and it's through me. And he woke up. And he had that same dream three nights in a row. On the third night, he woke up from that dream, and he wept, and he cried out to God for forgiveness. And he said it was like the floods of heaven poured down into his soul. It was like he was an empty, barren wasteland, and this flood of life and joy came into his spirit and his soul, and he wept, and he cried, and he thanked God. And he said for days he just cried because God was restoring an empty soul. And he, with conviction, strong conviction, will tell you, look in your face, he says, Jesus is the way to God because he knows it, he experienced it. And somehow God in his massive sovereignty came and found this guy and saved him because God wants to save all who will come to him. When we look at that last part of that passage, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, and then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a pretty strong passage. There will be people that think they know him. They're doing his works. They're religious people. You know, we did this for you. We cast out demons for you. We did this for you. We served you in this kind of way. We did this. He says, I didn't even know you. You were doing all these religious things. You think you were doing the right way, but you were on the broad way. You didn't even know it. You know what it is to do the will of my Father in heaven? It's to know me. It's to have a relationship with me and to me to know you. To be known by him. This is the way that we enter into the kingdom of heaven. In John, Jesus said it a little bit different. He said it in John, talking about the sheep entering into the pen. He said, he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief the Broadway, the false prophet leads to destruction, but Jesus leads to life. He said, I am the way. The way to God is through Jesus, not through all the religious works. It's through him and him alone, and it's through having a relationship with him. So I want to leave you guys with two thoughts as I close up here. The first thought is, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus? Jesus said that unless you do the will of my Father, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. In John, 4, John 6, verse 40, 
It says, this is the will of my Father. Jesus is going to tell us the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. This is the will of the Father. And what is eternal life? In John 17, 3, it says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is having a relationship with God. Eternal life is living in this relationship with God forever because of what Jesus did for us. The will of God is to know God through Jesus. And then the will of God is to live out the Sermon on the Mount through Jesus. We don't come to God in pride. We come to God with a broken and contrite heart. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who turn to God in understanding their own sinfulness and accept what he did for us. And when we do that, we're given life. Do you know him? There are only two ways, and it's hard to say it. There's one way that leads to life, and there's one way that leads to hell, and you're on one of those two ways. You're on one of those two. But Jesus said there is a way that leads to life, and he, it's through him. If you know, don't know Christ, you can. You can pray to him and ask him to come into your life like I did when I was 20 years old. You can simply tell him, that you want him, that you need him. You can tell him that you accept what he did for you. You know, he gave us the ticket to heaven. He paid for it, but you have to receive it. I'm going to accept you, Jesus. I'm going to accept what you did for me. I'm going to put my trust and my faith in you. And you can do that tonight, today. Before you leave this room, you can accept Christ into your heart and take communion with us. The ticket was paid for you. It's a free ticket, but it's not without cost. Because when we accept that ticket, we're indebted to him for the rest of our lives. So don't think it's just a simple thing. He's just going to give you a ticket to heaven. He's going to call your life to him for the rest of your life when you come to him. You're his now. You're not your own. When we go our own way, we're our own. When we go his way, we're his. We think we're our own on our own way, but ultimately it leads to destruction. The first thought, you can know him. The second thought I want to leave you is that if you are a Christian, if you do believe this, it's very likely that you will continue to face increasing pressure in this culture to abandon this belief. It's very likely that you feel the pressure already and that you will continue to feel the pressure to abandon your belief in the exclusivity of Christ. So I want to encourage you in this last thing. Don't abandon that belief in the exclusivity of Christ because it's the truth. But do hold on to the inclusivity of Christ. Do live out the inclusivity of Christ and show the love of Christ to all those around you. So they may hate the exclusivity of Jesus, but they can't hate you because they see the love of God in you. And they see you loving them even though they're different than you. They see you loving them even though they're Democrat or Republican. They see you loving them even though they may bother you or they're a family member that annoys you, but they see the love of God through you and they cannot deny the reality of God in your life. As it said in the beginning, whatever we wish others to do to us, do unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. God's called us to love. He's called us to love. And when we understand the gospel, it doesn't create a divisiveness. It, it, it should create this idea that I am, uh, it shouldn't create a pride. It should create this sense of humility. I was accepted when I was far from God, not because of what I did, but what Jesus did for me. It should, accept, it should 
change our thinking about others and see them not as some bad enemy person, but, man, someone that God loves and died for them and cares for them too. It shouldn't create a separation, but it could, should create us pursuing to care and love for others. I came to Christ because someone shared with me, they reached out to me that I may know. So let's a model inclusivity, model the inclusivity of Christ, but hold to the exclusivity of the gospel. It's hard tension to do, but that's what we're going to have to live out in our world today to really represent Christ well. So I'm going to pray, and then I think we'll, um, we'll do communion together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. <clears throat> thank you that you provided a way. None of us deserve that way. We're all on the outside. None of us could get there on our own, and yet you wanted us there. You loved us so much that you provided a way, and it's through Jesus. He was unique and different than everybody else, and he said, I am the way. Believe in me. The way, 